Good morning, happy Sabbath. We are delighted that you have decided to endure this scorcher of a weekend with us as we continue talking about the epistle to the Ephesians. Today we're going to talk about how God rescues because let's face it, any one of us who is a human being at some point needs to be rescued. So we're going to talk. I'm delighted that my friend Joey is here. We've been talking off camera about all things Tesla, but now we're going to talk about all things Jesus. As we do, we're going to go ahead and invite you to start with a word of prayer as we delve into this study. God, we want to thank you for your myriad blessings, blessings that come and almost engulf us. You are so good. And as we consider how you have not only liberated us, but you continue that ministry of reconciliation and rescuing, we would pray that you stay with our conversation, that you bless us today and always, for we pray in your name. Amen. Joey, how are you today? I'm doing well. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it was it was fun to have Philip here, but it's nice to have you back. I saw it. Philip is just a bundle of energy. He is. He um, is. It's 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 not often that we have that much energy in <laughs> one room, um, but I think Philip doubles the amount of energy in any room that he steps in. By the way, Philip. Uh, don't be watching. Phil's in Croatia right mm. now, enjoying vacation. He finished, as you know, his doctoral program. And so we sent him, well, we didn't send him. He paid for to go to Croatia. So we're hoping that he's relaxing, but we are glad to be back. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your mission trip to Kenya. Um, yeah, Africa is, as I was telling you off camera, Africa is everything you expect Africa to be. But this trip was a bit different because, you know, usually when we do trips, with our wonderful, wonderful university church members. You have uh, an age, age range where, how shall we say it? It's a bit more experienced, more seasoned, uh, much, much more wisdom in these trips. This was a bit different because the predominant uh, majority of the people we took were young adults. Mm. And so it was, it was just really neat uh, to see uh, talking about Phil, you know, Phil every Tuesday comes in and says, you don't understand how on fire this generation is for Jesus. And mm -hmm. we sometimes are like, well, that's nice. Um, but to actually experience people uh, in that stage of life, just yeah. devote themselves to service um, and come in with a spirit of not simply giving, but allowing to receive. We, they received just so many smiles mm. and love, and they've worked really, really hard. And it's just, it was amazing. It was an amazing opportunity. It was an amazing opportunity to, to, con to connect uh, with the Ajo family once mm. again. Um, and so it was just, it was just delightful. We have, we have friends in Africa, actually, Joey, one of the most fascinating things is I got to preach in one of the churches mm. um, there uh, in Mara West. And uh, the pastor came and uh, the pastor for the district came and said, hey, guess what? We watch you at Loma Linda. Uh, so for those of you in Africa, for mm. all you have done, particularly in that beautiful country, which is the Republic of Kenya, Hakuna Matata, mm. Asante Sana. Caribou Jumbo. 
Wow. That was just a mix of a bunch of <laughs> phrases, but those who know, know. Yeah. Um, how have you been? What's What's been going on with you? It's been quiet here, a little bit quiet, quieter with so many people in and out um, over the summer months, but we are gearing up next, you know, this next week is the start of camp meeting. And so, yeah, that's always an exciting time for mm. our church. So we've been busy at work trying to prepare for that. And I know you have a big part in, on Friday nights yeah. um, leading discussions or conversations about the book of Revelation. Yeah. So that's going to be yeah. exciting for our members. It's really exciting to have just so many people, not only from the School of Religion here, but uh, from HMS Richard School of Divinity at mm. La Sierra, just come and share different perspectives on the book. Yeah. And the hope is that what we're doing Friday night helps our congregation or those who decide to participate uh, to have some more information as they engage with, uh, I think, some messages that are not only going to be Christ-centered, but that are going to be drenched in the text, which is what Pastor Randy loves to do. Um, and so we, we are just delighted for camp meeting. Uh, we miss you, Randy. Uh, don't come back too late. Randy, by the way, Joey, is the only person I know that takes a vacation, and for him, a vacation is to do a camp meeting somewhere. <laughs> so enjoy your vacation. Uh, but we're just so delighted that you're in Europe uh, sharing this expository way of grappling with the text, which we are so blessed to have here at Loma Linda. Yeah, and with that in mind, we get to dive into the book of Ephesians mm -hmm. together. And I, I really do appreciate how throughout this um, these Sabbath school lessons, we've been going really verse by verse, mm -hmm. section by section, mm -hmm. um, understanding the book the way that it was originally written and the way that it was meant to be mm -hmm. read. So I think that was, that's been really powerful for all of us. It has been a delighting quarterly. Um, and I think it's been delightful because of the approach that the author has taken. Mm. Uh, it's not these big themes. It's simply, let's delve into the text and let's mind the text and see what Paul is trying to convey. Mm. And so I love the fact that we're not uh, jumping around, although jumping around sometimes is warranted. But like yeah. today, we're going to be dwelling primarily in chapter two. Yeah. Um, and we're just going to look at that wonderful, wonderful piece uh, that talks about this rescue, particularly those first 10 verses. Yeah. You know, that rescue theme. So um, the author starts with talking about baby Jessica, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember, so she was, she's an 18 month old girl um, who was trapped in an eight inch well, mm -hmm. which when I actually measured out eight inches to see how big that would be, that's tiny. It's, it's a tiny. Very minuscule. And I can't imagine an 18 month old being stuck upside down. And I think she was doing the splits. Mm -hmm. So her leg was vertical above her. And just how that, that story enraptured the entire nation. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember uh, I remember hearing about I was fairly young at that time but later on they, they made a TV movie about it and I remember watching that TV movie about um, baby Jessica and it was it was it was a like a heartbreaking and then exhilarating tale mm -hmm. when they finally did rescue mm -hmm. her it was such a powerful story and yet as powerful as that is the the, the story of rescue that all of us get to experience that's even more inspiring. That's, that's well said. You know, I was reading the story and uh, had to make some connections because 
that's kind of how you're wired. Uh, I, it's, it's been over the news um, for the past couple of weeks. These two kids that survived in uh, the Amazon for mm. 40 days, um, if you've read the news, it's just a harrowing but incredible story of survival and their rescue wow. out of the Amazon. And that just thinking about uh, how our lesson started this week got me to thinking about some work in survival and rescue mm. that Lawrence Gonzalez has done. Uh, Gonzalez has uh, gone over uh, to train with uh, Air Force pilots and he's uh, gone to work with Native people in Australia. And basically, uh, he's, his primary area of research is why is it that some people survive and are rescued and some people don't? And he's noticed that there's something about children mm. Uh, that actually allows them uh, better odds to survive uh, and, and uh, obviously to be rescued. And for Gonzalez, it's really simple. Children recognize their limitations, mm. and so they act according to their common sense. When they're tired, mm. they stop. If they're thirsty, they uh, drink water. If they're sleepy, they rest. They don't move that much. They don't try to figure out how to get out of the situation. Mm -hmm. They're much, much more cautious in how they act because they don't have all this life experience and, you know, this baggage. And I think as I was wow. thinking about our spiritual life, the, the connection has to be made, right? Jesus says that to children belongs the kingdom of heaven. And I think it's because wow. children, whether that be uh, literal children or spiritual children, I think have a better capacity of realizing that they need to be rescued. Wow. Whereas some of us who are a bit more experienced and have a little more knowledge and we've in we've engaged in this longer discussion with faith yeah. we think that we can pull ourselves out of the hole and i think it's fascinating wow. that paul uh spends so much time in this particular uh, chapter just talking about a shift that happens in, um we're going to get into that as as it is in the text. Wow, what a powerful connection. I love that, this idea that children realize that they need to be rescued. Mm -hmm. Adults, we adults sometimes try to rescue ourselves and in, in, in the process make things even worse for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And yet the theme in this chapter seems to be that we need to be rescued. Mm -hmm. It's only by grace that we mm -hmm. are rescued, not, not by our own mm -hmm. works. That's so powerful. So, Joey, structurally, um, I think we can we can divide the pericope or the passage in two primary sections. Mm. Well, actually, three primary sections. So there's kind of this before mm -hmm. that comprises chapters uh, verses one through three, and then there's this after. Mm -hmm. um, but there's like this hinge uh, note, this hinge sentence that Paul introduces in the Greek which kind of ties everything together. Mm. And it's at the beginning of verse four. Mm. What enables this rescue, what enables mm. this transformation, kind of like the key, the key phrase in this whole passage is mm. uh, found in the first half of uh, chapter four, but because of his great mm. love for us. And I know sometimes we oversimplify things and we say, well, you know, talking about love, there they go again. 
But it's just so fascinating mm. that Paul is delving into this really, really intense excursus on theology and kind mm. of this change that occurs within human beings. And the rationale for that change is something as simple mm. as God's great love for us. And I know we get you might get tired of us talking about it, but it's just something that scripture keeps coming to and coming to. And I think intellectually it makes sense, but there's something that keeps us from believing that we are deserving of this amount of love that God bestows upon us. Yeah. I think that is such a powerful word, but, right? But because of his great love for mm. us, it signals the change that happened. And like you said, what follows the but is is so powerful. It's, you know, this, this truth is deep and profound, yet simple. Mm -hmm. That God's love, that everything hinges, I love the word you used, it hinges on God's great love for us. Not even our love for God, although that's important, not even our love for others, which is which is also very important, but that God loved us first. Mm. And that is the starting place for all the change. Mm. If God didn't, and I, I think um, Dr. McVeigh does a great job of of emphasizing this, this idea that even if God never took this initiative, we wouldn't even realize that the status quo of our lives is not right. Mm -hmm. We would think, this is life, right? Mm -hmm. We live our 70, 80, whatever years. If you live in the a blue zone here in Loma Linda, maybe a hundred years, mm -hmm. and then you die. And th that would be our lives and we would be satisfied with it. But, but because of God's great love for us, he showed us that there is more to this life than just those years that we live here on earth and die. Mm -hmm. And that is to me what is really, really counterintuitive. I think as you mentioned, uh, there is a great almost laser-like focus in this week's lesson on that, that it's not a story that we can come up with because it just, it, it goes beyond anything that we could imagine. And so I love how uh, Dr. McVeigh kind of starts getting us thinking about, about how Paul would have seen uh, this message. And I think what is really powerful is if you look at verse five, um, it says, so we start with kind of the first part, the first part of uh, this passage saying that we were dead in our transgressions. Mm -hmm. That's kind of our initial status. And then God's love makes us alive in Christ. Mm -hmm. But then uh, it says, by grace you have been saved. And Joey, I looked back at the original text because I kind of wanted to know, uh, this is some. This is a construction that Paul uses a lot, except in this particular case, mm. um, usually Paul uses this, uh, this verb saved in the present tense. Mm. Here, for some reason, and I'd be, I'd love to kind of hear uh, where, how you, uh, work through this. Um, in this particular passage, he uses the perfect tense mm. to describe this verb. And for those of you who, who need a refresher on your Greek course, uh, 
past tense in Greek has at least two ways of looking at it. There's the aorist, right? It's an event that happened in the past and is done. Um, but the perfect tense is an event that happened in the past and you can happened once in the past, but the ramifications of that event are very real and continue to be felt in the present. Mm. And so it's so fascinating that Paul is saying, you have been saved. The Jesus event where that love that we're talking about was manifested is so powerful that it happened once on the cross mm. and it continues to reverberate through history. Yeah, that's, that, that is really powerful. I didn't realize that that was the construction that Paul used, but it makes sense because the way that this, this passage is constructed, there is a sense that we have already received mm -hmm the mercy, the grace, the, we, we've been seated on, mm -hmm. raised up and seated, which begs the question, like, I don't feel like I'm enthroned mm. right now. I don't feel like I'm seated at the, you know, seated mm. with, with Christ in heaven, in the heavenly realms. Like, how does this make sense? I'm still living here on earth. I'm still struggling through, through sin right now. So how is it that we've already been raised? And I, I think it, it hints at something that, um, I think it was Dr. Ladd at, at Fuller back in the 1950s talked about this idea of already, but not, not yet, yet, right? This already, but not yet. Like that, that seems to be the theology that Paul communicates in his letters that, that yes, it's, we've already received these blessings, but not quite yet, mm. right? That there is still more to be had mm -hmm. in the future. And so, so I, it seems like that's the sense that Paul is communicating here. Like he has an understanding that we still struggle. Um, John McVeigh in his in his in his lesson for this week talks about that. That later on in the book of Ephesians, there's definitely a recognition that that these these believers who he says has have been what um, uh, received the grace. Um, of God and and they've been saved and they they've been enthroned with Christ in in the heavenly realms even though that has all happened they're still struggling right. with sin so there is a recognition from Paul that these this is the great work that God has already accomplished and yet not all of it has we've not experienced the full extent mm. of God's grace yet mm. yeah I I don't want to I mean, if you watched first service, you already heard this in the sermon. Uh, but there is this, this dual kind of language that Paul uses for sin. Mm. And I think uh, it's present in most of the Pauline corpus. And here, we need to understand that for Paul, there's, there's kind of two arenas of sin. Paul uses uh, the Greek homartia to talk about our status. Mm. That's taken care of, right? Mm. When Paul talks about sin, he always talks about sin in the singular. Mm. And he's talking about our status. Yeah. We have this status as sinners. And the solution for that status is already been done. This is what we've been saved from, right? Mm. That's done. We don't, we are not sinners any longer because of what Christ has done for us. But then Paul will use another word. And in our Bibles, this word is translated as transgressions. Mm. And you see it again in this passage, right? He says, the sin problem is done, but you're going to continue struggling with these transgressions. And so the work of rescuing has been, has been done if you're looking at sin as your status. Mm. 
But there still needs to be this work of perfecting your character, which will hopefully give you a victory over these transgressions that I know we all struggle, we all struggle with, and we yeah. will continue to struggle with. And so I love the fact that Paul is grounded in reality. Yeah. Yes, the message is a message that is hope filled, but it's also a message that recognizes, I think you so eloquently stated, that we struggle and we will continue to struggle for as long as we live here. That's why I appreciated our colleague, our colleague Josh's message a couple weeks ago, mm. which was a, a message that I think was beautiful and elegant in its simplicity. Salvation is here. Mm. Salvation is now. Salvation is yours. Wow. Wow. That is so powerful. Yeah, this idea that that even though this that we that we should never doubt because we even though we struggle with transgressions in the present, that doesn't mean that God's grace mm -hmm. is not sufficient. Mm. It doesn't mean that God doesn't that ultimately we won't conquer mm -hmm. sin. It's like the the end has already been written, mm. but we still need to live through the story to get to the mm. end, right? And and that that is the place of hope mm. that we live in, and which is which is why Paul writes in the book of Thessalonians about how we do not grieve mm. like those who have no hope, because he realizes, yes, there is sorrow, there is loss, there's pain, there's suffering in the present. We already know that that that's something that we're going to have to live through as far as mm. as a part of our story. But that will no matter how much pain and suffering we go through in the present, it will not change our future destiny. Mm that we will live with Christ. And so that makes sense. And it, it, I think what you're saying, and it's right now, folks, it's like we're dancing this beautifully synchronized dance because you're jumping exactly to, I think what, what he's alluding to in verse six, right? He says, mm -hmm. and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So again, mm -hmm. there's a shift, right? From uh, being under the ways of this world, world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air um, and we'll maybe take some time to kind of talk about Pauline cosmology um, if we have time but I really want to want to get to to the point that you were alluding to and God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms mm -hmm. now the way that we were raised up in Christ is through Christ's death and resurrection and so it is this idea of suffering, as you're mentioning, which takes a completely different uh, foci. Before, when we suffered, uh, it did produce disorientation. Mm -hmm. It did produce pain. It did produce uh, this sense of not being certain or confident. Paul is saying, and he does this throughout uh, his epistles, that suffering is a way to connect with Christ and that suffering occurs once the big question of sin has been answered suffering is actually a way to connect with Jesus as you are experiencing that which he experienced and so it's it's almost as if Paul is saying look if we were raised up with Jesus if we have been seated with him in the heavenly realms then it, be, it behooves us, and he will talk about this uh, throughout his epistles, it behooves us to serve as his ambassadors. And you cannot be an ambassador of Christ without experiencing suffering. So it does even couch this idea of suffering in a completely different light. Yeah, that's true. 
you know, you just got back from a mission trip and I remember being on um, some mission trips and we we do some suffering mm-hmm. when we go out there. It's different sometimes mm-hmm. when we go on these mission trips. I remember one where we went to... Um, we went to Mexico and we built built a house for for some people um, who didn't have a home, and we lived. Uh, we stayed in tents on really hard packed dirt. It was just open dirt area, and there wasn't even any flushing toilets. I mean, there was just an outhouse mm. with a you know something hanging over the cliff that you just did your business mm. at and just big buckets of water. I mean, other people around us actually were living in homes that did have showers and things, but we happened to live in this facility that wasn't. But as difficult as it was, it was bearable and even a little bit fun, I would say, because we knew that that wasn't forever. Right. We knew we were going to come back home, right? That was only for a limited period of time. And then we returned home to our nice, comfortable mm-hmm. beds and running hot water and all of those things. It, it reminds me of a um, of a story, I'm not sure if it's true or not, of how John Rockefeller sent his boys out to the oil fields over the summer so that they could learn the business. And they worked in the oil, you know, oil wells on the oil well rigs. Um, and it was hard work. And when some of their coworkers asked them, you know, how are you doing? They're like, oh, this is great fun. And the comment that they, the, the coworkers replied back was, well, that's because, you know, mm-hmm. eventually you're going home. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that does make such a difference. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying the difficulty and the challenges that we face in the present do take on a different meaning when we realize that we're going to be going home. Wow, that is so. Our suffering is temporally oriented, and it's also causally oriented. Because suffering by itself, and this is, I think, where we get it wrong. There's a long, long history of within Christianity that has said, "Okay, well, if that's the case, then I need to make my life as hard as possible in the here and now," and. Um, that'll be that and so they suffer just because they were suffering i guarantee you that it wasn't only the fact that you were that you knew that that experience of living under those harsh conditions wasn't going to be forever but it there was also a purpose to it yeah you were actually there building a house for somebody else and so it's the temporal aspect of suffering, it's not gonna be forever. And also the causal aspect of suffering. This is for a reason. Um, I get to suffer in the same way that Jesus suffered. Mm. That I think does marvels for how we begin to understand and to focus on, on suffering. And because it is ours, because our suffering is purposeful, then our suffering isn't something we boast. Uh, mm. uh, we boast on, and I think again, Paul, Paul's circular ro- logic in this particular t- in this particular passage is airtight. Mm. He says, "Look, now you're raised up. You didn't do anything to be raised up. Mm. There might be some suffering uh, that occurs." You've been saved, but you can't be boasting about your present condition, Ephesians, 
because uh, we are, your job, right? Your your status now, your default position is to do good works, and you remove all type of purpose in the good works you do if you begin to boast about them. So it's it's again these these beautiful airtight. Uh, arguments that Paul constructs that are punctuated by this wonderful paradox that I, I think is central to Pauline theology. Um, our, his strength is perfected in us through our weakness. That's mm. kind of the theme that Paul will, will continue going through. And you mm. see this here, uh, crystal, uh, crystal, a crystal clear example of that. Yeah, I, I love how you bring in that 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 element of not boasting and not feeling um, like this is because we are accomplishing this because of such amazing works that we, mm. we do. I do wonder sometimes because that theme of um, that caution is found throughout scripture. Um, I wonder if, if there is a sense of entitlement that sometimes comes from people who have received grace mm -hmm. and um, experienced grace over and over again and that sometimes it almost feels like the grace is deserved mm. right does that ever happen to us because we have the the parable of for example the unforgiving servant mm -hmm. we mentioned that last week in matthew 18 um and then in matthew 20 the the uh, the workers in the field mm -hmm. the laborers in the field who are all all get a wage, right? And the 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 people who came first are angry because they didn't get more than the people who came just at the eleventh hour, right? Mm -hmm. They they they're angry, and and the reply from the master is, "Didn't I give you what I promised mm -hmm. you? Are you angry with me because I am merciful and I am generous, right?" And and that story always bothered me because I was like. Kind of, kind <laughs> of, I, because there is a sense if I'm the if I'm the worker at the beginning, there is a sense that, man, if you're going to be generous with anyone, be generous more right. with me, right? <laughs> and so I think the story bothered me because they did work, mm -hmm. right? So it felt like what they received was deserved, mm. right? Like they were promised this wage, they were paid that wage, but this this group, they weren't promised that wage. They just worked and they got the same wage. So if you're going to be that generous with them, be the same amount mm -hmm. of generous with me, mm -hmm. right? Is is the feeling that I got. And and that makes sense when we're talking about wages. But do we ever feel that way when we're talking about salvation? Mm -hmm. Do we ever feel a sense of entitlement? Like I've been living this difficult Christian life for so long. Do I deserve it more than the person mm -hmm. who comes in at the 11th mm -hmm. hour? Do I, have I earned now my place in heaven a little bit more yeah. than the other person, right? Yeah. Does that kind of, as we are walking with God, is there a danger for a sense of entitlement to grow the longer we are following God? I mean, it seems counterintuitive. It feels like it shouldn't be. But do we sometimes, I wonder, because these cautions are in scripture, do we sometimes get a sense of entitlement and feel like we deserve it more right than somebody who's just walked in the door. I think we do. And I think the reason that we can say confidently that we do is because, as you've mentioned, 
Scripture is littered with these examples. Yeah. It's not just Paul that you, Jesus uses them. Uh, John will use them. James is going to use. This is kind of part and parcel of the new, of the way the New Testament authors understood how grace operated. And I think it has to do with our orientation. And I, the problem is that we haven't, I think, understood grace completely in the way in which grace is oriented. Typically, the way that we, when we talk about grace, we, we first look at each other and mm. then we look at God. So we kind of compare and contrast each other. We measure each other up. It's normal because that's what we do as human beings. And then we look at God. Mm. It seems like what the authors of scripture are telling us is in order to understand grace fully, you first look at God mm -hmm. and that experience inform, then allows you to look at other people in a different way. Wow. Again, not to give a will, but you heard this, I feel like we're just preaching the same message, but Paul in Corinthians is very clear, right? Yeah. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. And Paul's not talking about himself. It's obvious, right, that yeah. Paul has changed. Mm. Paul isn't persecuting Christians anymore. So what is Paul talking about? Well, Paul isn't talking about the way that God perceives him. He's talking about this capacity to perceive other people mm. as a new creation. And that only happens when you've spent time with God, when you've spent time in the school of grace and now you're able to go out into the world and have a completely different perspective on other people. So I think it's in scripture because we human beings tend uh, to explain everything based mm -hmm. on the relationships that we have vis-a-vis -vis one another. And in this particular case, yeah. uh, Paul is trying to upset the apple cart and say, first you look at God mm -hmm. and then you see each other in new ways. Yeah, and in those parables, it seems very clear that that's the that was the missing piece. Mm -hmm. Like they they didn't fully grasp. Like for example, the unforgiving servant in Matthew eighteen, he didn't fully grasp the the extent of grace he was extent he was given by the master, and because of that, he couldn't pass that mm -hmm. on to somebody else. And I wonder because there is this phrase in here. Um, that he talks about how this grace isn't only for the past, it's not only for the present, but will extend also into the future, right? Um, verse seven, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And that was sort of a surprising phrase for me because I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I'm a sinner. God forgave me in the past. He's forgiving me now because I'm still messing up. But I, I feel like at some point, I'm going to get to the place where I won't need God's grace anymore, right? Mm. He will have transformed me and I won't be sinning anymore. And I can stand before God without a mediator. And I'm just going to be, I'm, I'm going to be the perfect person that God always planned for me to be. So then why will I need grace in the future? I mean... Of course, I'm always grateful for the grace of grace in the past, but why do I need God's grace in the future? And yet Paul seems to be clear that we're going to continue to experience the riches of God's incomparable grace, even in heaven, even in the future. Mm -hmm. And 
and that got me thinking about this idea of entitlement because wasn't that mess what messed Satan up? Yeah. Is that he didn't he he started to feel like he deserved his place mm-hmm. in heaven. I think Ellen White describes this beautifully in a great controversy. The idea that he looked at himself, he looked at what an incredible being that God created him to be, and he started to think, man, God is lucky to have me. Mm. I deserve to be in a higher mm-hmm. place than this. And that that is was the beginning of sin. Mm. And hopefully for us who have gone through all of this, hopefully what we can learn is that there will never be a time when we're not living off of the grace of God. Mm. That even life itself, even life itself, living itself is an undeserved act of grace from God. Mm-hmm. And unless we hold on to that, until unless we are, continue to live in that spirit of gratitude, we have the opportunity, the chance of making the same mistake that Satan made mm all those years ago and repeating that whole process over again. And I think that's why it's so important to consider how Paul chooses, the language that Paul chooses. Because I think you're absolutely right. I think grace and our dependence on grace Mm. is eternal. Yeah. And so again, verse 8, right? Mm. He gives us this thing about in the coming ages. And then he says, for it is by grace Again, that word that you have been saved. Yeah. Again, the tense of that is perfect tense. Yeah. Um, it's not you are being saved. It's not you were saved. Uh, it's you, Jesus died. And the ramifications of that event mm. are going to last for eternity. Mm. And so I think wow. it is but our capacity to realize that the cro- the power of the cross is everlasting. Mm. And I think that's something that we we fail to recognize when we have a simplistic or I th- I should actually say a small view of what the cross and God's grace is. We think and there's definitely biblical foundations for the for this that's why a lot of us have said it before Mm. we think that what happened on the cross was substitutionary right Mm. Um, god placed his son in our place so that we may have eternal life yes but it's so much more than that Mm. that event was so transformative in the sense that it was God himself who necessitated hanging on that cross Mm -hmm. because the repercussions and the reverberations of that event needed to be held, needed to be felt throughout history. Mm -hmm. I know we don't like this terminology. Our friends in the evangelical uh, churches say, once saved, always saved. And I think they're part, again, just like the substitutionary crowd is partly right, they're partly right, except they think that the salvation has to do with our recognition and acceptance of Christ. And here Paul is saying, no, no, no. Whether you accept it or not, the cross has happened Mm. and the cross has power. And you can choose to ignore that at your peril. 
but it's really not dependent on anything you do. And this isn't cheap grace. And I think I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer's take on this. Mm. He says, this isn't cheap grace. Mm. This is costly grace because it costed, it cost God's life. Mm. And so Paul is just brilliant in the way he says, yeah, you know why we're going to be thinking? You know what guards us for, from entitlement? Those, those nail-pierced hands, mm. uh, which we will be gazing at throughout eternity. Yeah. And how can we, seeing that, ever forget mm. the true cost of the grace that we live and exist by? A grace that was in existence even before sin. God gave grace to mm -hmm. the universe by bringing to life the That's universe. That's exactly right. And a grace that he proved and showed so powerfully at the cross and a grace that he will continue that will continue to infuse our lives with life throughout mm. the ceaseless ages of eternity yeah. yeah i think so i think for us the the temptation is to uh, to think that it's the cross plus something else whatever that something might be for you that is needed in order to guarantee god's favor for Satan, it was thinking that his being was indispensable, mm. right? And as you said, I think, in Karl Barth, we've said this a lot, says creation itself is an act of God didn't need to make anything. Yeah. God was very, God could have been very content in this perfect harmonious relationship uh, between the Trinity that engulfed everything. Mm. And so God instead decides to open up a space for something else to exist. And that itself is grace. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think the moment that you think either your presence is indispensable or your contributions to the plan of salvation are indispensable, mm -hmm. or your role as a denomination, can we say that, is indispensable wow. for the plan of salvation, that's when entitlement occurs. And I think that's what Paul is trying uh, to prevent, because the same idea that drives uh, some religious narratives to cast the denomination as the protagonist of the event, uh, that's not something that was invented with Adventists. That's something that was invented the first time that a church was organized where they said, oh, we're, you know, yes, yes, yes. It's, it's Jesus, but you need, there's a special knowledge, right? That you need to have, or yes, yes, yes. It's Jesus plus circumcision or yes, yes, yes. It's Jesus plus th these ecstatic manifestations of the spirit. Human beings are always trying to cast themselves as the protagonist. And I think that's where the entitlement occurs. Mm. So Paul is trying desperately to get a church that is struggling with the same desire to cast itself as front and center in the, his, in the story of salvation um, as we do. He's desperately trying to get them to understand that it's the cross plus nothing else. Plus nothing else. Yeah. And we would never say, I, I don't think any of us would say, well, God is lucky to have me. But like you, you described, there are times when we act like God mm. is lucky to have mm. us, right? If only God would have more people like us, 
in his kingdom if only god would have more people dedicated servants like us if only if only the church was filled with more people like Mm -hmm. us then then the work of god would really thrive and yet what you seem to be saying and what paul is saying here is that that no it is the cross plus nothing Mm -hmm. else it is the grace of god and until we start seeing ourselves that way because I mean, if you think about what God did, Paul describes very graphically in the first three verses of this chapter, our status before we received that grace of God, right? And basically what he's saying is this complete reversal. You went from a place of poverty to riches. You went from a place of shame to a a place of honor. And I don't know, um, I'm sure all of us can think of times where we felt deeply ashamed, where we felt we we felt like we had no respect from anybody because we did something tragically bad and we were so living that place of shame and then for a reversal to happen and all of a sudden we are being honored and respected i mean that is a huge change a huge shift a place where we had nothing and then all of a sudden we have everything i mean we love these rags to riches stories of 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 a peasant turning into the prince, right? We, we love those stories. That's actually what we all experienced. And the fact that we became princes or princesses did not rely on how great of a peasant we were or how great mm. of a, uh, of how much we deserved. It's not like we were a diamond in the rough mm-hmm. that God just happened to find a really valuable person to put in this place. We were undeserving. Mm. He took just the rough and he turned <laughs> oh, us into diamonds. And that is the grace we experience. And the fact that we are diamonds is because of God's grace and will never stop because stop being because of God's grace. Not because we do anything that we that des, mm. that makes us deserving of that place. Mm. And when we start seeing ourselves, like you said, when we start seeing ourselves in that way, it allows us to see the value in others because we're no better than others. Mm. And that that is what why he's when he talks about not by works so that no one can boast, but for we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works. Those do good works that I think he's talking about is not is not things that make us more deserving of our place in heaven, but how we treat one another mm. and the love and the yeah. grace that we show to others um, because of what we experience from God. That'll preach, and I think that's a message that Christianity fails to share at at its own peril. Paul does a great job here, I think, of bookending this idea with, he starts with, you were dead. Not just you were shamed and now you're honor, or you were poor and now you're wealthy, although that's definitely there. But the the ultimate example of who we were is, you were dead and now you're alive. Yeah. And then he says, and you spent that time being dead, giving in to your sinful desires. Mm. Now, again, he uses the word sin here. It's not these peccadillos or these minor transgressions that we all struggle with. It is our very orientation mm. was geared to was geared in opposition to God. Yes. And Paul says, because of that, because you have spent your life, your, and you are dead in opposition to God, mm. you were deserving of wrath. Mm. 
But while you were dead, and while you were in opposition to God, and while you deserve wrath, God had prepared you to do good works in advance. Mm. So even as we were broken and following the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of earth and lived among them, gratifying our cravings and our sinful nature, following its desires, God had prepared something better for us. Mm. He finishes by saying, God prepared you to do good works in advance. Yes. And that is so incredibly powerful that even in the midst of my shame and my poverty and my status as a dead man walking, God saw me and said, I have a plan for you. Wow. And that plan constitutes God good works. Um, yeah, that's grace. That's grace. Uh, it's not only that God gave me salvation, it's that God had a purpose for me. Yeah, that is grace. That he sees us in the midst of our sin and he doesn't see us as we deserve. He sees us as he deserves. Mm. And then he works to make us that, to make us mm -hmm. those diamonds. It's, it's easy to forget because the longer that I live as a Christian and the more God works on my heart, it's easy to start to think, well, I'm pretty good mm -hmm. now. I'm pretty good now. You know, I, I still have foibles. I still have ways to grow, but I'm pretty good now. You know, I, do I, I don't need God as much as that guy. His mm -hmm. life is a mess, mm -hmm. right? And it's very easy to make those comparisons and to think that there is, that that someone is less deserving of the grace of God than, than mm. me. Or someone needs the grace of God more, more than I do. Mm. But the reality is that all of us live only by grace. Mm. And when we start seeing ourselves, I love how you said this, when we start seeing ourselves that way, we, we start seeing others in that way and realize there's not as much difference between the two of us as I wish there were. And that's sobering. Um, it's sober. It's so sobering to think that there really isn't any difference between us here uh, talking about scripture, Bibles open, mm. clean cut, um, sanitized and manicured, and the person that's struggling with what we would consider major, major transgressions, mm. right? And Paul is saying, there really isn't. Mm. You and him are the same. You and her are the same. And that's sobering and it's humbling. But I want to put myself in the position of that person that is knee high or even neck high in transgression. Mm. Wonder what, the, what it feels like to hear in the middle of your addiction in the middle of your immorality, in the middle of your anger, in the middle of your complete and utter failure to live a life of purpose, meaning, and value. Mm -hmm. God has prepared good works for you to do. I wonder what that, what that 
what that sounds like. And I think that's why in the end, the best pe the people that are best advocates and that understand the language of grace more than anyone else are those who have been forgiven a lot. Um, so perhaps, perhaps we do well to listen to those stories, lest we become the taskmaster that isn't able to forget. Mm. Wow. Well, Joey, it's a great place, I think, to end. Will you pray for us? I will. Our good and gracious God, thank you for your grace. A grace that was transformative, a grace that enabled us a future beyond just the several years we have here on earth, a grace that brought us to life and will bring us to life again, a grace that transforms our lives from one of poverty and suffering and pain and loss to a, a life of purpose and love and a hope and life. Lord, help us to never stop appreciating the grace that you give us. And with that grace firmly in our hearts, help us to offer it to those around us as well. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Rejoice. Rejoice, for grace is here. Grace evermore. Grace abound. Grace abundant. See you next week. Thank you.